Hit it. Hit the button. It's done. <laughs> We're live. What, whatever we say now could what get are us we canceled. Saying? Anything goes. <laughs> We're cancel proof. We're cancel proof. Who's, uh, who's, who's going to cancel us? I know exactly. Yeah, who's yeah, going to care enough? There's something to cancel. <laughs> Um, well, we're here again. Up to date, cinephile. We are. We're up to date. We're up to date. I mean, I, I, you know, we're gonna do two movies, so I'm, I'm more I, up to date. I, we're more. I'm more up to date. And, you, and you, are they you, the you, two you movies? Saw these movie, you saw these movies like seven weeks ago, right? And you're. In your capacity as being a, a, a cineast, a true cineast. It's funny. By the time we end up recording, I always forget what we're talking about. But I'm pretty sure we're talking about Boy and the Heron because you texted about it. Yeah, yeah. And we're and talking about Poor Things. Poor Things, which which that's the most recent thing I saw. So Okay, okay. Uh, <laughs> Boy and the Heron I saw a couple weeks ago. Okay, so but... I'll let you choose. Then I'll let you choose which one to go first. Which one, which, one are you, which one do you want to talk about first? Well, I don't know. Um, let's talk about... Maybe, maybe because to, to get my juices flowing and conversational skills going, because you know every time I'm not in practice, I become, I don't know, I become dumbfounded, just a blubbering idiot, yeah, blubbering idiot. Just, when Kyle's not podcasting, let's, he just communicates in grunts. He has to save all his words for all his podcasts. Let's do Boy in the Huron because it's the one I saw. A okay. couple weeks ago, but you saw it recently. I did so. see it recently. It, it just was recently released in theaters. You must have seen it at some no, festival no. or preschool. There were pre-screenings. It surprised. There. It surprised at the Burbank 16. It played for uh, like a w- two weeks before everybody oh, else. Ah, well, you're on top. And, of it, these and it showed. I'm they down. showed it in Japanese, and they showed it in the. Yeah, um, I saw the dub. I saw, you the, saw dub. the dub. I saw it in Japanese. Okay, so you're the purist. You're I the am. purist. I saw the dub. I don't like. Not that I. I've. I have. When my uh, brothers put on Princess Mononoke a couple months ago, uh, when Katie and I were hanging out over there, they watched the dubbed version, and it's not terrible. But I really think something is lost in translation. Yeah. Like the, I really do prefer the Japanese. You're a purist. Yeah, yeah. You're a I purist. Really do. Yeah. You're a purist. <laughs> you can read. You're a literate purist. Well, what You're is, not what afraid is, of reading subtitles. I'm, I imagine you are a Miyazaki fan. Maybe. I am a Miyazaki fan. Well, I am right. a Miyazaki fan. Probably one of my epiphanal experiences as a cinema goer was seeing Princess Mononoke in the theaters when it came out, I want to say, 98. Yeah, 97, 98. Maybe, it, probably was, 98 in the United was, States. Which was yeah. really when it started getting distributed. His movies started to get distributed. I don't know if it was. It could have been Miramax maybe then. It was eventually Disney. Uh, but when his movies started to really hit in the United States, uh, although uh, I, I think it probably was until Spirited Away before they really got broader notice. Yes. But yeah. I was not into Japanese animation. Obviously, Studio Ghibli and uh, Miyazaki are kind of their own thing, right? But they're within the broader umbrella of anime. I didn't know who he was. I didn't know anything about him. And I saw that movie and it just blew my fucking doors off. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it was absolutely unlike anything I'd ever seen. I didn't know that this was something that existed, right? I didn't. I mean, I grew up on Disney animation just like every American kid, right? I knew that there were things like Akira. Like, but even then, anima, anime is crazy, right? I think it we've really talked is. a little bit about it before. It's become so hegemonic amongst younger people. I mean, I see people all around. You know, uh, of every gender, racial presentation, yeah, uh, yeah. everyone, they all, you know, I can't tell you how many times I see someone you know, drawing my blood at the doctor's office who's wearing like a Naruto <laughs> uh, lanyard or something, right? I mean, it got just, Totoro on I, their, I mean, uh, I think their po- phone case. I think Pokemon probably has a lot to do with that. I think yeah, po- yeah, certainly Dragon Ball and those things that became big. But that was a little bit after my time. 
I had a couple of friends, one in particular who was super into anime, but it was still very niche back then. And of course, this is pre the internet, at least the version of the internet that we have now. So if you want to watch this stuff, you had to actually have it on a tape or on a DVD. Mm-hmm. It didn't just kind of uh, float through the wires like it does now, float through the air, float through the wires. And that movie blew my doors off. I mean, it probably has a lot to do with why I became so interested in Japan more broadly. It certainly has a lot to do with how I see cinema, particularly animation. I'm definitely a fan of Miyazaki. Yes, yeah, yeah. I was Spirited Away was my uh, opening to yes, to Miyazaki, yes. mostly because it got a wider release, so it was up for best animated feature. Yes, and at that and point, because I think of that, he was more of a known quantity in yeah. the states. And because of that, I went backwards, and I've watched Nausicaa, I watched uh, Totoro, I watched uh, Princess Mononoke, which I think is his masterpiece. I, th- I do think it is his finest work, uh, to, even I mean, to this they, day. I mean, gun to my head, that and Spirited Away. I yeah. mean, I, you could you could um, go either way on that oh, yeah, for me. For I mean, sure. I mean, those two are both, um, yeah, absolute masterworks. Yeah, absolutely. Without any question. Well, and and he was supposedly retired. <laughs> that he's was a Jay Z. <laughs> he's already working on his next movie. I know. He's, he's already working he, on his next. He'll movie. never retire. He's going to go out on a shield. Yeah, ab- God absolutely. Bless him. No, God absolutely. Bless him. He's going to go out on his shield. Um, and the last movie he did was uh, I don't. Did you see it? The Wind Rises. Yes, I yeah. did. Yeah, about aeronautical engineer Hiro Hazakoshi, I think is his name. But uh, I found that one perplexing when I saw it because obviously he's doing this kind of fantastical biopic. But once you see the the idea of like creativity and the idea of like creation and then what can be spawned from that, yeah, he clearly had a connection with the the horror of creation and the beauty of creation. Yes. and um, if some people have equated that as a magnum opus as well, something that that he has related to. Um, I found that this movie is very close to that one. It's more of his fantasy Alice in Wonderland version of the themes of Wind Rises, which That's, I liked yes, a lot. Yes, this is absolutely the marriage of that movie, which is very much preoccupied with the legacy of World War II mm-hmm. and all yep. the sort of horror that's mm-hmm. a part of the cultural memory of the Japanese in the 20th century, right? The, the, you know, the Japanese empire, such as it existed, right, was an entity that both uh, spawned and visited a lot of horrors yes. on other people yeah, and then had a lot of horrors visited on it, right? Yeah. So it's really a, one of the – I mean, it really is a place that was forged and then reforged kind of in the wake of that experience, Right. I mean, I find the modern history of Japan to be a tremendously fascinating topic, yes. right? Yeah. Japan is basically a feudal medieval place until it's forced to open in 1868, mm-hmm. uh, modernizes as fast as any country ever has, becomes a um, an imperial power over the course of half a century, right? Yeah. It goes Insane. from being basically not in the modern world in any meaningful sense to being uh, briefly dominating a huge portion of Asia. Yeah. And visiting untold horrors. I mean, we the, the horrors that the Japanese visit on the Chinese, on the Koreans, on other people that they conquered are less talked about uh for a variety of reasons because we're focused on understandably on what happened in Europe, what happened with mm-hmm. the Nazis, 
Uh, Germany is more open about its history. The Japanese, it's very taboo. No, it's very taboo to talk about. Brutal stuff. Very, brutal stuff. Yeah, and they don't talk about it. They don't like to acknowledge it. They don't like to talk about it. Uh, you're ostracized if you talk about it. It's, it's a cultural heritage that is... Um, that obviously has a very uneasy place There's in also the history a, of it's, that country. It's very interesting, like the closed-off emotional state of the Japanese, um, where, where they don't talk about their emotions, they don't talk about what's going on, is also a theme of another Japanese movie that came out this year, is, uh, uh, Hirokazu Kurieda's Monster. Which I have not seen. Um, it's very good. It's excellent, actually. Um, but it, it, th- there's this like marriage of the two, because th- that's like a modern assessment of Japan, and here Miyazaki's like looking to the past to try and see what the future might hold. Yes, and to try to wrestle with... That legacy, yeah, right. That yeah. very troubled and troubling legacy, right? And I mean, I loved this movie. No, it's, it's I incredible. Thought it, I yeah. thought his marrying kind of his previous work with the themes and ideas that clearly have been preoccupying him for the last decade about understanding the past, reckoning with the past, mining it for whatever you can, yeah. I I thought this was spectacular. I can't, um, you know, I like to let these things settle before I talk about where they fit in a director's canon. But this, to me, was a, was a real accomplishment and a yeah. real, it's a movie with a lot of ambiguity. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's a, yeah. you know what I love about Miyazaki's movies is that they're ostensibly, like, more for children, although the last couple have been a little bit more mature. Yeah, they've been but, mature, but they always have childish flourishes, you know, to to welcome you into these like, worlds. But yeah. like he treats uh, the material, and he treats children and anyone who would watch this movie with such respect. Yeah, absolutely, because these movies are full of real menace and real fear and real horror. Mm-hmm. I mean, in the titular character of Princess Mononoke is trying to kill the protagonist, who mm-hmm. will eventually fall in love with her. She is trying to kill him with. With, by herself and with her giant beasts. Yeah. Right? She is a menacing and violent figure. Yeah. Right? Um, Spirited Away is full of menace. Yeah. And grief f- and, and unspoken yeah. yes. grief and what, under the surface. And once yeah. again, Chihiro's, you know, Chihiro's friend, eventually the person that she will have a kind of, I don't want to call it exactly romance, but a, 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 a relationship that blossoms throughout the movie. Haku is, in fact, a servant of the you know the very woman who's keeping her prisoner and wants to essentially tear her away mm-hmm. from her reality yeah. into this other reality. Yeah, this is these movies do not shy away and have never shied away from real darkness. Yeah, real darkness, real fear. I mean, even in Totoro, which is a much lighter movie, you're talking about children getting lost, right? Real, you know. The, at one point, they're afraid that you know the younger sister is dead, right? And they mm-hmm. find a shoe, and then it's not her shoe, and everybody feels so relieved, right? I mean, these movies go to very, you know, they they let us together confront real fear. And in the case of this movie, fear on multiple levels, because it's about the horror of violence, of people dying, of losing people. But it's also about this deeper existential horror of what does it even all mean? Yeah. What do we yeah. do it for? I mean, what I mean, what is a good life? What is a good society? You know, can someone, you know, you want to believe that some wise man sitting somewhere stacking blocks, right, could make the perfect society if only he just thought hard enough and worked, yeah. you know, 
I mean, it's funny, right? Because the metaphor of introducing invasive species is actually a real one, right? I mean, there are parts of, um, you know, up where my parents live in uh, Wisconsin, you know, they introduced this bug to try to get it to eat mosquitoes, this foreign yes. bug. And now it's this, yeah. it's this hugely invasive species that just doesn't, uh, is is causing all kinds of problems, right? Because, you know, they, they thought they could solve one problem by playing whack-a-mole, but just like bringing in, you know, whatever the parakeets, right? Or the pelicans, right? Yeah. You you know the best you know you have you have nature which Miyazaki clearly is fascinated with and obsessed with and you have kind of what evolves over time through the kind of natural process versus these big ideas of how you yeah. might and I mean and I mean the I, the big ideas that gave birth to Imperial Japan I mean this idea that we can sort of you know we can join together as this one like unified body mm-hmm. of the japanese people and just together rise up and just conquer asia mm-hmm. right it was a very powerful idea absolutely well and and he's he, that i the conversation with like what is nature and what what can you create from nature or informed by nature is very much in that that uncle character this grand uncle that Miyazaki is clearly the character. Like, it's an embodiment of him. It's like, what? how can I piece together the world in an order that I find? <laughs> isn't it so insane that one of the creative, creative minds of our time, I yeah. think Miyazaki is one of the great creative minds of our time. Yeah. I, th- I, it, I, uh, I think uh, he's, he's like known as like the Walt Disney of Japan, but I think he's even greater, oh, yeah. greater, I, yeah. a greater there's, animator, there's no, greater storyteller. There's, that's, not, there's no, that's not a comparison in my mind. <laughs> I mean, I don't even think... Walt Disney is the greatest storyteller to come no. from American oh, no. uh, animation. Not, not right? even. I mean, not even close. Um, but I just think he the 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 sort of ambivalence which with with which he views his whole project is always sort of amazing to yeah, me. I know. I mean, he clearly, and I've seen him interview, and I've seen documentaries about him. There's a great documentary about him called "The Kingdom of Dreams and Madness." I mean, just the the way that he views what he does. Just the kind of torment of it, right? Yeah. And the sort of, you know, the 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 question you ask your, I mean, you know, you, he's going to spend over half a decade making these things and just mm-hmm. so much work and so much drawing and so many people and so much time. And for what? Right? And for what? And for what? Is, well, it, is he just sort of, you know, trying to tinker to create this little perfect music box that doesn't really mean matter anything. Or matter, you know, yeah. it's this contraption that might look great, but it can't actually do anything. And in fact, it, it has a kind of malevolence to it, right? Yeah. Like this contraption uh, created maybe for benevolent. I mean, the truth is everybody who does anything at the, at scale is doing it for what, you know, uh, I mean, the Nazis thought they were, you know, the Japanese, the, you know, empire, they all thought they were, acting from the most benevolent place yes yeah right if you listen to what they say about this, themselves i mean they thought they were on a mission to create a perfect world perfect right? world. just perfect like society just like yeah. what we see here yeah and just the the sheer malevolence of those projects right i mean the 20th century is littered with these you know whether you th- you know whether you talk about imperial japan nazi germany the soviet union da 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 these um tremendous projects right these yeah. pro- these these tremendous scope of these projects um 
you know, China under Mao, right? Where just people ended up just getting slaughtered, right? Incredible. I mean, yeah. because of, or for that matter, American empire, right? I mean, uh-huh. I mean, we, we, we outsourced a lot of that, but I mean, the same thing, right? Oh, this Pax, Absolutely. this, this Pax Americana we're going to create right after we overthrow one more, you know, third world government that sounds a little bit socialist, right? After we do one more proxy war in Southeast Asia, mm-hmm. right? Huge, grandiose projects, right? Uh, all of which were absolutely nightmarish. I mean, it kind Nightmare. of goes back to what we're talking about Napoleon, right? I know. The yeah. great man who sits on top of three million corpses, right? Yeah. I mean, that's a story we get to see over and over, over again. Over, and over. and yeah. you, you just see that weighing weighing on Miyazaki uh, through his particular lens. And yeah, it's that, that trade-off. It's like, what what do we find in the horrors, the devastation, the tragedy of history? Can there be beauty in all of that? Is is the creation that we make, is the the lives that we change enough? I think he, he wrestles with that. And I think Boy and the Heron, like pitting a protagonist, uh, you know, it starts in World War II, loses a mother. It's a grief-stricken protagonist trying to find self, trying to find understanding purpose again in a world that seems meaningless and torn down. And it's all mirrored perfectly like it it you one could say it's like alice in wonderland but everything is really quite crystal clear because it's not like the absurdity of life it's not going down and find these refracted ideas of 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 the real world in some fantasy realm no the fantasy realm is kind of mirroring back like what are the trade-offs what are the possibilities and what what can we sacrifice or make out of this this emptiness out of this hollowness. I really was impressed with this movie. And, and just at a technical level, the animation oh, is the, as good as he's ever done. Yeah, the, pre, the the cell animation is something that we just don't see these days. And it's like, come on, the, the, it might take years, but look at look at the quality that, of the it. The opening sequence running through the fire is as electric as anything you'll see yeah. on a screen. Yeah, just this and how it blurs that subjectivity. Like the, the fire is almost like in front of you, but also behind there's something like in between his his instinct for the sort of the iconic image is just one of like that scene where uh the main character is being kind of engulfed by frogs and Uh they're all all saying like that that the way that that evokes kind of a sense of like the terror of destiny right the feeling that like i have to confront this thing mm-hmm. like you're just being certain like in the way those frogs just all crawl up on him and the the, the heron is saying like your presence is requested like come with it. like yeah, you're the you're the boy just, of I destiny watched, i mean that's out. i watched that that moment just absolutely in awe because it's nobody who nobody else would like. Oh, I'm going to have this guy engulfed by frogs. Like nobody else would think of that. No, I mean, yeah. and the way that it evoked just the sense of like the sense of doom, the sense of this person is sort of doomed. The way that I guess Miyazaki feels that he's doomed to reckon with these things, mm-hmm. that he cannot help himself, that he has to go into that tower. Yeah. That of that evocation is was I found is it was just a 
it was just an unbelievably powerful cinematic moment to yeah. me. And the movie has a bunch of those. Um, many, many, many. Um, but yeah, I mean, he's a master. He's a master. I think he's, you know, we're seeing this this generation of directors. Obviously, we just talked about Scorsese. Mm-hmm. I mean, this generation of directors definitely at the tail end of their careers. Leaving with with us with some real masterpieces. And I, I uh, you know, obviously, I mean, I, I think this movie, certainly for people who like Miyazaki, they're going to like it. It's got a lot of different things going on it. And, including and, a return to some of the fantastical elements. I mean, and, an and his ability to sort of create creatures and yes, fantastical yeah. beings that just are visually very compelling and interesting. The array of, of various characters. I mean, obviously this one, because it deals with uh, a heron and uh, pelicans and parakeets. He's got such a fascination with birds. Like His fascination with nature kind of comes into play with all of his works, but this one is very aerial. Yeah. And... It really does take it to some some heights because of it. Uh, I found the the cult of of, of human eating parakeets, you know, cheering Wild. on cheering Wild. on their king of the parakeets. Wow, it's so good. It's so it's so weird. He's like an, ang- but he's funny. Like an angry foghorn leghorn. <laughs> he's like a nasty foghorn parakeet foghorn leghorn. That it guy. really is, and it's just like the the visual. I mean, you can't understated there's just such a a flourish a style a beauty i mean it's really masterful i mean this kind of animation i i i feel like anyone who doesn't appreciate this is kind of missing the point right like the the power of the medium he he understands the power and we've talked about this before the power of animation is the power to create a visual lexicon where you can represent all kinds of things that you could never do in a live action yeah. movie that even yeah. no, not the best CGI in the world. It would still look stupid or weird. It would still be too uncanny Valley because you'd see a real human being next to this thing. and It just wouldn't work. It wouldn't work. But when you can create that entire visual lexicon, then you can just, you can, you have free reign to really go to fantastical places that you simply cannot go yeah. in a live action movie. Well, and and then there's the thought behind it cuz it's not just an investment of of animation and a world that you can only create in that way. He uses it to reflect to the lead character, to Japan as a whole, to the legacy of a creation like for himself. It's is I mean the layers within this and what you can get out of it. I think in the personal, the cultural, the historical, the 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 idea of a of the creator himself as the auteur, there's so much to mine in this. This is really a generous, robust work, and it's really it's it's impressive. You know, I I think it will be it will be hard this year to decide for people to decide what what is the best animation because we talked about across the spider verse which also has such detail and it's it's the kind of modernized sense of detail but i prefer miyazaki in in a sense of control balance and directive like i really think yeah. it is a powerful work but because it's japanese it it i it, mean you know, it's, i mean i i i really like across the spider verse i think that's a really good movie very good and, movie. and i i think it's it's worthy of of praise i mean to me like i mean but I think Miyazaki's movies, I think they should be. I mean, I think this movie should be considered for best picture. Yeah, I mean, I yes. mean it's not gonna yeah. be, but I I do agree with you. To to yeah. me, to me, I mean, it's just great cinema. It's just great cinema at the end of the day, and uh, I I think it's also would be a good entry point for people 
who uh, who haven't experienced this stuff or maybe think it's not for them because it really is getting at a lot of really deep and interesting um, and offering no easy answers, right? Offering no easy answers uh, because there are none. Yeah. There are none on offer. But uh, it's definitely a movie that is deeply engaged well, I don't know. In Japan, was it called how how do how do you live or how do we live? Oh yes, yeah. How and, do we and, live? And you encounter yeah. him reading a book that his his late mother left for him called that. How do we live? How do you live? And you know, I mean, that's the question. I mean, really. And the movie yeah. the movie has no easy answer to give to you to that question, but it yeah. is it is deeply engaged with um with the thing, everything that is sort of beautiful and horrifying yeah. about human beings, and for that. And, and I mean, even the scene with the the pelican, where the pelican sort of explains why he does what he does. Yeah, that um, that rejection of easy narratives and easy finding the easy villains when it's really the broader structures that are causing these problems. Yeah. right. Yeah, uh, that to me was um, was a real powerful scene and a scene that really drives home what ultimately is a very i mean i just think he's a very humanistic filmmaker mm-hmm. right? i think he really oh, i think he really is sort of um you know like i think a lot of us right you look at you look at human the human race you look at human beings and what do they make you feel like if you were god right what we'll talk about god soon but uh, <laughs> you, I think you just feel like, wow, aren't they wonderful? And uh, wow, aren't they terrible? Yeah. Right? And wow, yeah. isn't it isn't it beautiful? And isn't it sad when they, you know, when their tremendous capacities get leveraged to do such terrible things? Yeah. And it's, uh, you know, there's no, what do you say about that? You just that's just something you have to kind of hold in your in your hand and in your heart and and. Uh, you can you can think about that you you know you can take a couple hours out of your day and you can sit with a one of the great filmmakers and um you know you can sort of let that wash over you absolutely well and and many people should like if if you are out there it's this unqualified recommendation no no yeah it's it's an incredible piece of art incredible piece of cinema um and very much i think uh late career as you said late career masterpiece miyazaki is operating in a, in a in a sense of control and uh, as you said there's there's this i don't know if it's humility but it is a hesitation to what what he has to contribute and what he has to offer and it's in that maturity that complicates the work and and yet you can enjoy it i think kids could enjoy it and be somewhat aware of the heaviness but it's still delivered in a sense that it's it's digestible yeah. Yeah. which i think is very important yeah no no it's i think yes i think uh they're definitely, yeah, you know, maybe not, I don't know, you know your kid. <laughs> so, I mean, it, it, it's, it's, uh, but yeah, it's great. Absolutely. Absolutely. It's, well, it's great. So, so I, an, an, another uh, director another operating director. at the limits of his medium, at the limits <laughs> of what that medium could maybe, mm-hmm. could maybe effectuate. Absolutely. Well, Yorgos. Well, we have, uh, we have uh, Barbie. From a different angle, uh, with, uh, with poor uh, things. Well, I mean, 
Interesting. That's interesting. Yeah, yeah I, I hear. I hear. I, I see where you're going with Crea- that. A cre- you know, a created doll. You know, going in, finding themselves in an existential and self discovery journey. I think. Uh, so, so let's cut. Let's cut <laughs> to the Ben Thielen chase on yes. this movie. There is a lot of sex in this. Movie. Oh yes, there is a lot you of must sex have been in the movie. Over this, the moon. Some of it is. Some of it is really hot. Some of it is really weird. weird. <laughs> Some of it, I don't know what you're supposed to make of it, but it is a lot of sex in this movie. So that immediately bumps it up. Yeah. I, I, th- I also thought this movie was great. I got a lot yes. out of this movie. Um, it's, it's hard to qualify for me because I love Yorgos Lanthimos. Like I knew I was going to love this, this movie or things about this movie. I mean, to, to walk out and be disappointed would be I mean, he'd have to drop the ball completely, which is not something he usually does. And I, it's it's hard to qualify because it's some people, you know, IndieWire is like, oh, this is the best of his work. I mean, it's hard. It's hard to say. Katie and I talked about it. He takes on very specific ideas, very specific ideas in his works, like Killing of a Sacred Deer is about family. You know, The Lobster is about relationships. Dogtooth's about authoritarian environments. You know, fatherhood and what 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 nature and nurture has to say about your development. And he like, he is almost like Dr. Frankenstein. He's like, he has a scalpel. He's like removing essence of the human project, the human uh, core. Well, that's the whole conceit of the movie. Yes. And, and that's why this one is the most broad of his works. It's almost like all of those pieces have now amounted to poor things, which deals with authoritarian fatherhood. It deals with, uh, m- uh, masculine control in systems. It deals with relationships. It deals with coming of age and development. And now we have like a tabula rasa of Bella Baxter who takes on, you know, society as constructed and comments on its absurdity, comments on its uh, barriers, comments on its limitations, because they are not sufficient answers when it is an adult who is developing in, in a very particular way. You, you are less coded, less instructed by what, what, how things are. You amount to thinking of things how they should be. And that's what's interesting about this you movie. Know, you know, these, the movies we're talking about, both today, I think, will reward rewatching because they are both very dense. Yeah, they are. They are very dense. They are very thick, which I think is good. I, I really like that. Actually, I like their density. Yeah, they're dense with ideas. They're just visually very dense, right? Incredible production design for this. I mean, this movie uh, wild. The costuming wild. is like Victorian on acid. I mean, it, it kind <laughs> of it, you know the movie that tried to do this and really didn't do it very well was the the. The uh, George Miller movie from uh, last year, yeah, three thousand years which of long, I, which I yeah. thought. I mean, they're not. They they were both trying to be sort of live action, but like very fantastical to the point of being having a lot of things that were very almost ethereal or otherworldly. But this movie, I mean, it is absolutely transportational in the world it takes you to. And just from a visual standpoint, I thought was amazing. Oh yes, I yes. thought stunning. And, but but you know what surprised me the most about this movie? Uh, because it is thematically, I'd say a bit a bit different than the Boy in the Heron. It's a it's a shockingly warm movie. Yes, it's yeah. got, it's, it's as warm. It's, it's very it's most warm, humane. It's, it's warm and quite optimistic, yeah. right? Because the message of the movie seems to me to be that 
if we could strip away a lot of the bullshit, we'd actually be pretty decent. Yeah. yeah. Like that all the bullshit of society is kind of holding us back. And that when you basically, when you put an infant brain in an adult body, she kind of, she kind of is the best case. Yeah. Which is to say that, you know, given the tools to have actual will and actual power, you could develop yourself. You know, when you're a baby, you're just physically at everyone's mercy. Yeah. But if you were more physically autonomous or capable and you kind of had that portion of your life with a real body that could do real things, you'd actually come out pretty good. Yeah. You'd have more enlightened attitudes about sex, politics, the roles of different people. You wouldn't be so bogged down. You'd even you'd even elevate other people. The Rami Malek character, right, has a much more... Who, well, the, is it, uh, no, it's not Rami, Rami Musev. Rami, Rami, oh God, Yusef. I, I, Rami Yusef. I'm, I'm yeah. confusing my uh, actors of, of Middle Eastern <laughs> extraction. Uh, uh, you would have a more like he's a more enlightened character at the end, right? Mm-hmm. Where he says, sort of, you know, you what you do with your body is up to you. I'm just I'm jealous of those lucky men that got to spend time with you. Yeah. With the great button line of uh, that seems rather low to me when she says the price that she charged. As a, uh, <laughs> yeah, that was as good. A, there's a lot That's of there's a lot low. of one liners. There's a lot. <laughs> I mean, and also like the dialogue writing. I mean, the 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 dial. Like I th- I I think this is a I think this is a heavy hitting performance from Emma Stone. I think it might the, be. Uh, I think, this is a career best, I, and right? I think the I've always be. liked her. Yeah, I think too. she's a very winning and magnanimous. I mean, she has a lot of personality. She can she can kind of work it in a lot of different directions. And to me, uh, like the in the writing, the dialogue writing for her, and the way she brings it off are both just excellent. Excellent, excellent. Yep. It's and, and, you can and the consistency. It, you can imagine it not working. You can imagine oh, it being yeah. grating. Yes. And it's and it's funny and it's fun and it's interesting and she pulls it off physically and verbally to me yeah i mean this is a she 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 brings it yeah i mean everybody in this movie i think is bringing it and it's oh a, yeah it's a murderer's row it, it really is right. i mean mark ruffalo is operating uh at the one of the best performances of his career willem defoe always the eccentric in 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 in, in a yeah, line but, in this but, murderer's but an row unimpeachable, said, an unimpeachable actor but, but you know when he talks about his father you know uh taking taking a an iron you know a you know to what what is it to yeah uh to his, go to his scrotum you yeah know? His, his dad was dr evil's dad <laughs> so I just think about this scene with the freshly shorn He's scrotum like, do you right? think my father you know as he he um put a hot poker to my balls like did this for no reason and and the guy's like what the fuck are you talking about it's just very absurd over the top funny yorgos knows how to get to the essence of the absurdity of human the human project humanity not human beings in their condition and their evolution and how they are but society and as you said taking on the child of a brain putting them into an adult that you have a child there's a lot of why why is it this way why do we do this why why and a lot of it's all very disguised it's like well that's how it should be or that's how people expect it to be and that's not good enough necessarily for a child yeah and for her as an adult to take that on face on like 
constantly is looking at these men and how they have ordered themselves or how they explain themselves. It's not good enough. The answers aren't good enough. And Yorgos has done that. He's done that in The Lobster. He's done that in Dogtooth. He's done that in Alps. He's done that in even The Favorite, you know, looking at royalty in a very particular sense of power dynamics. It's just not how things are supposed to go. And Poor Things is almost kind of all of those pieces amounted to uh, you know, a magnum opus per se, because it's saying everything that he has said up to this point, but with a very particular character. And as you said, it's his most humane work. It's so humane. It's trying to say that we can all have a life of fullness and there are things in our way from, from doing yeah. this. We can all be Bella Baxter yeah, if yeah. we really want it to. You're right. It is Rami Youssef. Yes. Not Rami Malek. Two, both Egyptians. Yes. Shout yeah. out to the great nation of Egypt and my wonderful Egyptian wife. <laughs> uh, so shout out, shout out to Egypt. I'm sorry to confuse my Egyptian Ramis, uh, but we we love them. We love him. He's great. He is He's great. great in it. I would say the only acting that, that is not like substantial but still works because Yorgos creates... This is the, the strength. Yorgos creates worlds. And it's oh, through yeah. the production design. It's through costuming. It's through dialogue, as you said. It's, it's the how they proceed with the dialogue. That the, it's almost as though he's crafted an alternate history. It's almost like Mary Shelley's Frankenstein changed the world and we live in this kind of jules verne steampunk uh mary shelley frankenstein reality accepted as as our our new historical foundation and kind of probing that probing that early stage because we don't know if this is a dystopia we don't know if it's an alternate history and it's but but you it doesn't matter because he immerses you in that into that world that language and uh, so, like, Gerard Carmichael, who's a stand-up comedian and comes in here, he's a bit dry and maybe a bit flat as the cynic on the boat. But it doesn't matter because it, it the, the language that he is operating yeah. in, the world that he's operating in, it doesn't matter. You know, Catherine Hunter, who's incredible in this, she's the brothel owner. Uh, she was like the witches in Tragedy of Macbeth. Oh, God, so good. And she's so I good here. Love, I love... I- you know, I feel like that Macbeth, that version of Macbeth is maybe a little bit of a forgotten movie. I really love that. It was movie. really good, and she's great in it. Incredible. I mean, she's great. She should have been great. up for an Oscar. She's for great it. in this. Uh, yeah, I mean, the Jared Carmichael character is interesting. He does talk in this way that's a little stilted and didactic, which had to be a choice. I it mean, is. That, 100%, that had to be a choice. Hundred percent. I mean, you're sort of you know you. I mean, you surround surra- you surround Bella Baxter with these different men who just represent different ideas. Yes. Right. Yeah. The, you know, Willem Dafoe, kind of the search for knowledge above all things. Uh, Mark Ruffalo, kind of this idea of pleasure. But see, what's funny about his character is he wants to be what she becomes, yes. right? Yeah. That, so he's he's the false god, right? He's the false oracle, right? Because he thinks he's so sensuous and free, but he's really just like <laughs> he's just really. He's a pretender, right? He's what, just what a, a pretender. Because she, she, they have sex. And she goes, why don't people do this all the time? And he goes, mm, even I have my limitations. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. But, but, but even the way she, the furious, is, is it wrong, furious something wrong jumping, with men? Furious is, jumping. <laughs> furious jumping is, a, it, that's how we should all refer but, to sex but, from now but, on. Right, I, mean, I mean, I guess, you know, I'm, I'm a sex positive podcaster, 
I think he's right. I think that a lot of our torment in the world it does come from psychosexual hangups. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I'm, I don't think that's all of it. I'm not so Freudian as to believe that. But yes, if we looked at, you know, first masturbation and then sex as this just generally pleasurable thing that you could do that could be an easy, free way to have some fun and blow off some steam, uh, I think the world would be a much better place. I don't have any question in my mind about that. The insatiable id would just lean well, into just, it. Just, but not even that. I mean, like. Like we have all these sex panics. In our culture, we go from one sex panic That's to another. Yeah. We were panicked about gay people. We've been panicked about premarital sex. Now we're panicked about trans people. It's just one psychosexual panic after another. Yeah. And what is at the bottom of that? The, at the bottom fear, of that, fear. fear, but fear, but also resentment. Like sure. you are willing yeah. to do yeah, the yeah, thing yeah. that you want to do, even though I, I say it's taboo. Even though I say you shouldn't do it, you shouldn't like it, and I resent you because I am not willing to do that. I am not willing to just do the things that will make me feel good. And so I have to construct some worldview where I'm morally superior to you because I'm not going to indulge, and you're indulging, and shame on you. I'm judging you, but really I'm jealous of you Mm -hmm. because you're going to do what you want to do, and I'm not. Yeah. Right? And if we all just kind of did what we wanted to do and saw – sex as just a nice vector of pleasure and i'm not saying it can't ever be more than that i'm just saying if that was our starting point if that was our Mm -hmm. entry point i i have there is no question in my mind the world would be a better place i don't have to think about that for a hot second to know that that would make the world a better place and so i think he's right i think Mm -hmm. he's right and i but i think in articulating that it's an optimistic vision because yeah. what it's saying is that our nature is actually, it's sort of an old utopian idea really that our nature is actually good, mm-hmm. that there's all these other things that come in the way. That's a, that's a big conversation. Like her, her idealism or her, her sense of autonomy self, uh, and her natural progression she does believe in the good of what she's doing, the good in people, and that's why she feels so much. Yeah. And then Gerard Carmichael is like, no, people are bad. I'm going to prove it yeah, to it's, you. And it's, it's the it's, old it's, Hobbes-Rousseau debate, yeah. right? Hobbes, you know, people are naturally evil. They will just take and be violent, and so they need to be restrained. You know, Rousseau, I mean, this is an oversimplification of what these people believe, but, you know, this idea that natural, the natural human being is actually good, that this... This impulse to, uh, what is it Rousseau says about, you know, the first time someone put up a fence and said, you know, this is mine and not yours, like something that was sort of the great human tragedy, right? Mm -hmm. This idea that, you know, what is inside us is fundamentally good and we just need to unleash that, right? And strip away all the other things that are obstacles, right? Whether it's social conventions or, you know, certain oppressive social structures like patriarchy or whatever. It's an optimistic vision of human beings. It's a very, and I don't know that that's the thing you would have associated with him. You say, Oh, there's a real eternal optimist who has a sort of warm view well, of he's, humanity. He's nasty and cynical about systems. Like he, it, yeah, it, about I, those I mean, walls. I'm not saying it doesn't all square, but yeah. this movie to me is very focused on the good. Cause our hero she does prevail. She does. She does prevail, and she prevails very much on her own terms. 
adhering to her view of what the good life is, yeah. which is just to to be true to her sort of natural self and to eschew uh, social convention. There, There's a, a point in the movie where they suggest that she will have a violent lesson. And I'm glad that he didn't put that upon her because again that would betray what i think is is what you're 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 getting at as i do think at at his core he he does believe in humanity he does believe in people he and but he doesn't believe in these silly institutions and these silly structures and had she met with a violent end had she been disposed of um, it would have been a tragedy, but again, I think he this is a comedy, and he he needs that to win. He needs that to win over the system, over the over the control of her, because that's that's where the meaning like enters the equation. Like that's where it is all kind of squared off with his philosophy as a filmmaker. And um, it is interesting because it is kind of violent the end. But it is on somebody else, yeah. And uh, but she and so she learns that perhaps maybe she's correct, and that that's what she. Yeah. Th- this whole journey is is kind of fulfilling her initial take, her initial feeling, her initial yeah. ideas. But even with the Rami Yusuf character, and to some lesser extent with the William Defoe character, who does change, right? Because he does let her go. He even opens up the possibility that you know you don't have to be this tabula rasa to change yeah like you you can even come in with the baggage but if you're open-minded and if you're willing to look at you know it's important that the the you know the men who evolve are these men of science which means that they are susceptible to the data right if you look at the world and you're susceptible to the data and you see this person living naturally living honestly you say you know what i had all this cultural baggage but they're right yeah i see the data they're right i was wrong you can evolve. Yeah. Even if you don't have that gift of or curse or whatever of, you know, self-formation, right, uh-huh. that Bella Baxter has. Yeah. You can still get there. Yeah. You just have to be willing to be honest and look at the evidence and trust your assessment of that evidence. And right? many, many characters change in a positive direction because of her. It, it, it is the Rami Youssef character. Her father changes. Her yeah, father... Yeah. God. Uh, God changes. Like, yeah, yeah, God has he lets this, her go. He lets her go. He has this idea of control and empiricism to uh, controlling the experiment, but then realizes what good is that when the point is to be human, the point is to err. I, I think I said in my review, it's uh, Yorgos Lanthimos, you know, it's air to, to err is to be human, but I think in his philosophy, it's it, to err and to fuck is to be human. Well, yeah, it's correct again. <laughs> correct again. Correct again. And so... I mean, no no shade to our to our uh, asexual listeners out no, there, because no. I know that, that that's not a thing for everyone. But but even then, I think to... to um, to honor whatever your appetites yes. are. Right? I mean, obviously, he's yes. focused on the sexual appetites because those are visually the big deal. obvious. Yes. Although yeah. there are like eating too. I mean, there's a, there's like lusty she, eating. She does overeat at one point and then yeah, vomits yeah, and yeah, then she walks yeah, away. Yeah, sort of, so, so there are other appetites are considered, but you know, to honor them and to to cherish them and to enjoy them and see them these these vectors of pleasure. As opposed to these things that have to be subjected to control. Yes. Right. Yeah. Oh, if we let that run wild, you know, if we let everyone, we're just having 
premarital sex. What would happen then? Well, nothing would happen. We would be happier. <laughs> right? I mean, it's just at least control. I mean, I mean, in that, at a the little end bit of the day, control. I mean, that's that's where him and I will find our ultimate alignment, right? Which is just our hatred of american puritanism right oh he which definitely think, has that which i think yes. for both him and i are very pure very the the american protestant puritanism that characterizes so much of our culture in so many different ways whether it's our love of work or our sex paranoia or our feelings of you know the meritocracy and how you you know demonstrate your merit and even your your godliness through worldly success. Yeah, I think those are things that uh, him and I will find ourselves equally repulsed by. Oh, and so I much. guess in that sense we are philosophically aligned, yeah. not just in our love of sex stuff, but also our hatred and uh, disdain and contempt for those very american qualities very right? much so that 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 puritanism that is so baked into our culture and i think is is the cause of many of our ills 100 percent, yeah and his i mean nobody does it better i mean his tone is so particular his visual sensibilities yeah, if very... you love fisheye lenses, have <laughs> I got a movie for you? My goodness, talk about <laughs> I feel like there's not been enough fisheye. Well, out and, there. and I think it's utilized here incredibly well, right? Because it is like a microscope. We are studying. We are studying let, this person. Let me let me tell you from from a technical standpoint. Here's the highest praise I can give to this movie. It never. He does a million tricks, and they all work. They all work. None yeah. of them bothered me. None of them took me out of the movie. None of them made me think, oh, this is stupid, or this is too clever by half, or this you just did this because you knew you could, which is what you think a million times when you see, I don't know, God, a Christopher Nolan movie or Ridley Scott movie, who are directors who I sometimes like. I, I kind of like Ridley Scott uh, and Nolan I'm very critical of. But you just, you know, you watch some movies and you think, well, he just did that because he could. Could, yeah. Because he just yeah. had that trick, and he's like, I want to do the trick. No. I want to do the trick, right? Every trick. Well, it's and, and there are many. Yeah. There are many, 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 and they all worked for me. Because the film is a Frankenstein monster. It's all these pieces. It's black and white. It's color. It's CGI. It's it's real set production. And that's what you have to love, though. Is it's, for me, you have to love the fucking ambition of it. Yes. To just yeah. be so fucking wild. To just do every fucking thing you can think of. Every crazy bizarre shit you can think of. To do it all and have it work. I mean, that is that is a that is a player move and <laughs> you know what can we say about that like you have you have to have real real courage yo real absolutely. real self belief all of them i you have to him as a filmmaker has had courage and is constantly true to his voice and his uh vision but man, Emma Stone here is fearless, brave. Well, she's a producer on it, and, and I mean, I mean, that this makes is, sense. I mean, she should, she could probably be a director. I mean, this is definitely a collaboration between the two of them. Well, I mean, and this movie, this movie is clearly having discovered working with her on the favorite. I think they wanted to work together. Yeah, but again. I mean, this this yeah. movie is like as much as any movie I can think of of recent vintage, a movie that's like driven by clearly a a real a real meeting of the minds between an actor and a director. Yeah. Yeah. And it had to be because because that character has to do so much and work on so many levels. And if she doesn't, the movie is dead. It is. It is yeah. dead. No, impressive. Yeah, the 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 ability to 
hold all of that, you know, spin all those plates in the air and none of them drop. I mean, it's, it's on the level impressive. of like a raging bull type situation where you just <laughs> had to have a director yeah. and an actor who were just so in locked in. Yeah. Right. Into the project. Yeah, it is. It is an absolute. Yeah. I mean, that they, and they, they are they are they are thick as thieves. on And this one. pretty much every Yorgos Lanthimos movie has to have a dance scene. And this one's up there. Oh, <laughs> it's so good. So good. Every single one has a dance scene. It's and, so uh, good. He 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 really, really goes forth with it. I I love it. Um, No, I was really impressed with this work. I really enjoyed it. I found it incredibly funny. Uh, it's so detailed, it's so lived in, and uh, it is just jaw-dropping impressive on everybody. I think Mark Ruffalo, <laughs> let's just say if uh, the other incel of Ken wins over him, if Ryan Gosling wins over Mark Ruffalo, I don't think that's fair. I, I don't think we call him an incel. <laughs> yeah, I mean, he's true. out here, he's fucking. <laughs> he's fucking, but. He, he's, he might be fucking for some, uh, you know, I mean. Sense of I, control. Like I said, yeah. I mean, but it's also like. Yeah, they're the perfect foils, right? Because it's yeah. all a lot of it is about his ego, yes, right. And for her, it's all about her id, yeah, absolutely, right. He he has this idea of himself as this sort of great lover, which, like I said, he's the false and yeah. she's the true. Yeah, she's, and I loved it. He's a, he's so good. Like uh, I, I and and honestly, the trailers don't even give you a modicum of like what exactly the performance is like not even that dialect not even his persona it's this, this is definitely is, one of the movies that was is so outlandish and wild it is less ruined by the trailer oh yeah like i know it's kind of like it's kind of like uh yeah it's like you have an idea of what you're yeah. getting yourself into but you really don't and yeah. uh yeah uh yorgos is still you know he, I, th- I think he's a genius, and uh, I mean, this further proves it. It might not be up to the level of like I, I prefer like Killing of a Sacred Deer, the Lobster, or like Dogtooth, but it's still operating at those levels. Like it's, st- it, it just really depends on what you, you latch on to. Like because all of his movies, while sonically, visually, aesthetically similar, it's what he, it's the position he's taking. It's the subject matter. And you'll you'll if if you'll find anything in his movies to latch onto. It just depends on your preference in the end, like yeah. what you prefer. I like sex. You so, definitely do. <laughs> so, so two great movies, a late career masterpiece. I guess we'd say Yorgos is mid career now. I think we can put him in mid career. I mean, this is like what? Yeah, mid. Yeah, I mean, how this old is, is he? I don't even know how old he is. He's in his late forties. Like, so that's. I mean, I mean that, we'd say that's mid, early to mid for a director. I yeah, mean, directors mid. are directors tend to be a little bit older i in think the, in the main it takes a while to get to that point usually. i mean he is really the it's it's hard to compare him but he's got flourishes of kubrick that um he's so much he's, he's so much weirder he's, but he's yeah. also warmer than kubrick i mean that's true I, I i know kubrick is great and i love kubrick but kubrick is mean he's right? mean if, and if cold, you want to put a knock detached. on, on yeah. kubrick is that he's kind of mean Absolutely. and the meanness works in his favor he makes mean movies right speaking yeah. of which we should say a moment we should we should spare a moment for for barry linden today a little tribute right ryan rest o'neill passed rest yeah in peace. rest in peace ryan o'neill uh, if uh, anyone hasn't i mean barry linden's great Paper Moon, um, oh God, is it is it Love Story? Um, I think people should also watch The Driver. Yeah. Ryan O'Neill's incredible, and he's a little underappreciated. So, so we spare a moment for him. But yeah, as much as I love Kubrick, he's he's a he's a mean guy, and the best in I won't say worst because his movies are all good, but 
there is a there is a warmth missing from him. Yeah, and this movie is very warm, and I yeah. like that because I I I try to be a warm person. No, I know you. Do. I try to I you know, but other people can I don't. judge. Yeah, so you're you're the Kubrick <laughs> and I'm the I'm the Yorgos. But I mean, I the the warmth of it and the the sort of hope in it, and to be able to do that in a way that's not saccharine or sentimental, but is very real and I think earned. Uh, I like that. I like it yeah. when I like it when movies have that element to them. I do too. Where there's a sort of they're realistic, right? I mean, just like another one of my favorite. I mean, I keep on bringing up past lives, but it's like it's a movie that's very honest about what is hard and painful in life, but still has a kind of warmth and hope to it. Yeah, yeah. That oh, you can find your way in spite of all of this. Yeah. And I don't know. I mean, I think I think uh, maybe I'm just sentimental, but I like that. No, I, I'm I'm in agreement. I, underneath this hard hard exterior, yeah, I know you're. I'm soft. sentimental. You're soft. I'm soft. You're softy. So I t- definitely understand it, and I definitely connect with it when it happens. And no, the, I found this to be very humane. I found this to be very optimistic and positively so. No, I I I, I thought this was great. This was a great movie. Yeah, absolutely. Two good ones. Go see yeah. them. Go, go see, see them. Go see yeah, them on the go, big screen. Take the time. Go see them on the big screen. Absolutely. Go see them at your local cinema. Yeah. Poor things. Hopefully, we'll get wider. It's it's it, no, yeah. The, it will open wider in a couple. Uh, yeah, couple I weeks. To, yeah, I had to schlep up the the grove. Well, Boy and the Heron's doing well at the box Good. office. Uh, yeah, I know. Yeah, I know. so hopefully that sustains and that will keep it yes. keep in the yes. theaters. Uh, no, I think both of these are extraordinary, best uh, up there in the best of the year, and uh, you should really give it the time. You should give it the the attention because they're all they're both lovingly visualized and painstakingly visualized yes and at, and at definitely at the limits of what you can get from cinema absolutely real real both in their own ways illustrations of the power of the medium and uh so if you like movies uh that is another good reason to see them absolutely so what do we see next week what's coming out we gotta see wonka, what is next, see next wonka? Week? i'm seeing well i'm i'm seeing a bunch of shit um oh, yeah, so i'll give i'll give you wonka is one of them but i'm seeing the jonathan glazer movie zone of interest okay that um, people love that i've seen that i've seen that peaking i've seen that in a lot of top fives already i think that's being only played at the century city of course so of course. anyway so that if that fits into a, a a rejection, and then maybe later on we talk about it. No, that's I, mean, okay. I mean we got to see it. We got to see it. Like I'm, I said, it does seem to be priority. It's a priority it does seem for me to be getting a lot of a lot of love. I'm seeing this um, the satire, the literature satire, American fiction with Jeffrey Wright. Yeah, uh, I'm seeing that on Thursday. Yeah, I, I just saw the trailer. I think I saw the first trailer for it first in front of uh, Poor Things. That looks yeah. that's got potential. It got it has potential. That's got yeah. some potential. We like um, his satire, I li- and I like him a lot. I do. He's I great. love Jeffrey Wright. Um, so American fiction, Zone of Interest, and then I'm seeing Wonka last. Yeah, um, yeah, but yeah. so honestly, if you if you check out Zone of Interest, I'm willing to just talk about that. If you end up catching Wonka, I will talk about is it, that. Is as it well. Maestro on the horizon somewhere where in Maestro, a way that we can actually see it? Yeah. So I've so Maestro opened you saw up. It. You saw it. I saw somewhere. it. I did see it. I saw it at the Egyptian, but it has opened wider. It's at a bunch of Lemleys right yeah, now. Yeah, okay. Um, I think it will be on Netflix on the twentieth. Okay. Um, so we can talk about that at okay. some point. Because I know so. you didn't like that, so we. Can I I, I might got, I might hate that movie. Okay. Well, I I gotta love it. We gotta have a good. We gotta have one good one where we really divide. I mean, we were a little divided on Napoleon, but not not in a real acrimonious no, way. No, definitely. So not. we gotta we gotta really go. So now 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 you have to love Maestro. So that that's so your, I, your call. So I guess I have to. I do. I do like Leonard Bernstein. I like the man. Uh huh. 
Um, Me too. Yeah. <laughs> that's, 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 <laughs> uh, uh, yeah. So, um, um, Bradley Cooper, actually, I, I, I like him as an actor. I think he's a good actor. Although uh-huh. I will say, um, I think Silver Linings Playbook may be in history to me one of the most overrated movies oh, of all time. A hundred percent. A movie that I think is really quite bad. It is very and, bad. And was regarded as a good movie a or great it's like a movie. really good People movie. People think it's a great movie. Yeah, I, I, it's I, not. I think that's a real bad You should movie. you should talk to Katie about it when we get out of here. And I say that as someone <laughs> who uh well, I think the peak of David O. Russell's career was Three Kings, which is a movie that I quite love. But uh but after that It's a very good mo- one. Yeah, that might be the peak. Yeah, right. I love after the nineties. After the nineties, it starts, I, I starts love, to drift. I love that movie. It's a media war. It's a media, I, I, yeah, <laughs> I had that movie on DVD. I love that movie. But uh, he he he, uh, he lost me a little bit after that. Okay, you guys had that's Kyle Brule. I know movies you don't give me your money. I'm Ben Thielen, uh, Dead Reckoner. You maybe give me your money, but give it to Kyle first. He's getting married. He needs money. Uh, he's <laughs> he's living in squalor. No, he's not living in squad. He's doing okay, but he does a lot of work. He does a lot. He puts a lot of good content out there. So give him some love, and uh, we'll we'll talk to you next week. We will talk Give's to you next movies. week. Yeah, movies. There's always movies. Fucking wall to wall movies. We'll, out here. we'll keep coming. We'll keep having these combos. <laughs> See you next time. Bye.